Recently, I did a deep dive Amazon keyword research project. Naturally, I reached for my trusty Amazon keyword research tool, Magnet. Magnet is just one of 20 tools in Helium 10, an all-in-one software toolkit to help sellers start, build, and grow a business on Amazon. Helium 10 has served over a million users worldwide and tracks over 2 billion products on Amazon. You get all the main tools you need to run the keyword research and listing in one place, so you don't have to pay for different software. Magnet in particular is a great tool for finding great keywords to target for your next product. So whether you're just getting started or you're several years into selling on Amazon, Helium 10 is a must-have tool for your business. You'll get 50% off your first month of Helium 10 Platinum when you go to helium10.com and use the code AMAZINGFBA when you check out. Once again, just go to helium10.com and use the code AMAZINGFBA for 50% off your first month. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. And I guess I should say more broadly, e-commerce sellers as we get into 2021 and have to think bigger than just Amazon as the, the water gets hotter. So today I've got a warm, warm welcome for a special guest, Luke Harvard from Dwarfs.io. Dwarfs.io is a very interesting, it's a small fund based in Holland. Like many other people, they're acquiring e-commerce businesses, but they specialize in non-Amazon marketplaces and Europe, which I think is a very, very interesting area. So welcome to the show, first of all. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. That's great. So we were just talking before we went uh, into the podcast recording about where you're based. So you're, you're in Germany, is that right? Yeah, I'm in Wiesbaden, Germany. It's about 15 minutes drive from Frankfurt. But yeah. uh, we hear your dulcet British tones. Yeah. So obviously you have that European angle as well as a UK understanding. So that, that's a great mm -hmm. starting point. I've also lived in Germany as it happens. So we got, we've already got a bit more of an international angle, which is great. Yeah. So let's talk about this then. So we, our whole thrust, we've got a couple of episodes hopefully to, to come, but we're going to talk about mm. building a sellable e-commerce business and the sellable piece is important because you guys specialize in acquiring them. So that's the yep. other side, but focused on the UK and European marketplaces that aren't Amazon. Yep. So tell me a little bit about why this is even worth considering for people. I mean, the people say, you know, Amazon's got whatever, is it 50%, 60% of e-commerce, depending on which yeah. country, yeah. why even bother looking outside of Amazon right now? Well, I think if something is already working on Amazon, then you'd be, I think, foolish not to kind of, you know, take some of those eggs out of that basket and maybe put them into other baskets and, and at least explore that because there are other uh, marketplaces, smaller marketplaces, and of course, your own um, web shop that could be underutilized right now. So I, I would always recommend that you know, it, it, we, we, no one knows what the future is going to hold. Obviously, Amazon uh, is its own animal and it does what it wants and it's changing things all of the time. And so there's no guarantee that they can't just change, you know, something and, you know, your listing gets dropped off the face of the earth or they decide to just, you know, you've, you've done something really special with your product and they like it better and they're going to, you know, take it and, and do it themselves. And so there are other uh, platforms. One of the ones that we really prefer is Bold. You know, in Holland, they would call it the little brother of Amazon. And it's small. I believe it's about 7 billion euro turnover on Bold. So it's it's really small in, in comparison to Amazon revenue. But, you know, the, the number of sellers on Bold are significantly less. And I would say they are currently, it's, it's just, it's not a necessarily a new platform, but it's, 
there it's a lot newer in terms of selling as an individual seller. So I think it's a big opportunity if you've already got a proven product that that is selling like hotcakes on Amazon to then maybe trans transition onto bowl as well. And there's a potential there that, you know, if you're one of the few sellers on there selling your type of product that you could do extremely well very quickly. So I think, you know, it's a big opportunity, really, and not many people are are talking about it or thinking about it. Yeah, Um, totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that the fact that it's less not talked about that much is surprising to me, given how desperate people are to escape over competitive markets there's a lack of imagination that that, i don't know or people just never heard of it maybe so that's why i'm glad to you know break the secret if you like so by the way just to put things in context 7 billion euros is about 8.9 billion us dollars according to what my my detailed research i.e quick google just now so 9 billion us dollars now to put that in context i mean amazon uk in 2020 which was a ridiculous year had 26 um billion uh in revenue which is huge mm. 2019 was about 17 billion so it's actually not that tiny i mean it's not as big as amazon uk but that is one of the biggest marketplaces so yep. it's however <laughs> and it comes to something when we see seven billion is a small amount of money that's quite funny yeah. or seven billion yeah. euros nine billion us dollars whatever that is in pounds six billion yep. whatever it is but the, in other words it's not a titchy tiny ridiculous opportunity it's actually pretty substantial and i have to say mm. that my experience at bold.com and, and be interested to get your your take on it. And if we take nothing else away except bold.com is a thing, then I think we've served people very well mm-hmm. because I've got a, a client I'm working with at the moment who's selling stuff on bold.com. When he told me what he was selling, I kind of almost, um, you know, had a heart attack because if any of my clients had said who, who sell on Amazon, even in the last five years, had said they were selling this sort of thing, I would have I would have just been so anxious that the Chinese were just going to rip the price out of the market and they would make no profits and it's been killing it. So that's an example of the fact that the, for me bold.com feels like where amazon.com was maybe 2013. I mean it's incredibly lower competition compared to that. I mean yep. what's your experience of your clients experiencing the same kinds of things? Yeah, I mean so some of the other partners in the fund, you know, that I would consider them to be uh, bowl.com experts, yeah, uh, super sellers. You know, they they've sold a lot of product on uh, bowl, and yeah, I mean, it's it's just far less sophisticated, and and it's you know, like you said, when people were selling uh, products, which you'd say, uh, yeah, that's just too, you know, there's too many people selling that product at the moment on Amazon. The the kind of quantity on bowl is significantly less. So to a certain extent, I wouldn't say that you you don't have to kind of you know think with bold but you you know it gives you a lot less gives you a lot more room for error especially but i think if you've already done you know a really good product on amazon and you you know you've proven it then i think it's going to be a game changer if you shift it over to bowl i think you you know it, it there's a potential there it could fly i mean one thing you have to take into consideration is that from you know amazon.com the us to europe there's a big difference i find i would say and for all those listening with all due respect there's a different sophistication in terms of what people want. Certain products in the US just won't, you know, people are not interested on, you know, some of the European um, marketplaces. So I do think you have to take that into consideration if you're in the US right now and selling in the US and something's selling really well, it might not uh, translate to the European market. But with that said, I think, you know, there's a lot more opportunity. So potentially if you have something that's selling in the US, they're, they're, you know, 
if there's no one else selling in Europe, you could it could be a, a blue ocean for you, really. And that's just one platform. I mean, that's the one that we would say to invest your energy and time in. But there's lots of other uh, platforms. And I think also for, I mean, it should it should be said that, you know, you should be investing in your own web shop. For us, we're, we're looking, you know, a home run where we see a business which is what we'd consider really valuable and really attractive is is one that has multiple different channels uh, and not necessarily that they're they're uh, mature right now that they've they've you know proven that it works and maybe they're starting to ramp up so let's say for example they started on amazon any of the amazons really but you know for us it would be europe or uk but they've just you know, tested the water with their own web shop or say another marketplace, then that that kind of says to us, yep, it it definitely works there. And it gives us some room to then obviously, you know, take over and, and start to scale that. So that's what we're really looking for. Interesting. So it sounds like a few things to reflect on. First of all, different types of products may work in Europe to, to US because mm. of the, I, I guess what you're saying is consumer sophistication is a bit yep. different. And, you know, I guess that sounds... Uh, <laughs> A bit judgmental, but I, I guess it just does work in a different way. I mean, there's something yeah. about American consumers are very kind of generous and a little bit forgiving. Certainly, in my experience, the UK is yeah. not that dissimilar, but Germans do not consume oh, yeah. in the same way. <laughs> they oh, they yeah. need stuff to be very well engineered. And, you know, we, yeah. you're, you know, if you've sold it for five minutes in Germany, you'll know about that, about the Germans. But what's interesting is what you're saying then to sort of slightly flip topic, I suppose, is you're talking about how what makes a business attractive. Now, obviously, different buyers are looking for different things. Mm. But what you guys are looking for is it sounds like, what's the word, a sort of solid start in a channel. Mm -hmm. or multiple channels but not necessarily fully fledged because yep. you i guess as an acquirer you're buying the future potential growth right so tell me a bit exactly. more about that because obviously this is really a, i guess we're, we're probably hitting some people with a, a sort of triple whammy of of how to make your business more sellable but i mm -hmm. guess that's talked about a lot but really mm -hmm. critical i'm never going to apologize for making that conversation <laughs> the focus of the podcast these days but also europe it's a thing bold.com is a thing but also then we're talking about different marketplaces yep. so from the sort of sellability point of view what makes a business that has exposure to what look to americanized potentially very small markets but multiple ones of them more attractive to you than one is just big on amazon.com what why is that more profitable for you guys well look is it indeed <laughs> yeah well uh, you know for for us i mean the one thing that we're seeing over here in europe is that for example if they if they're sellers you know that are selling in 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 holland right now the netherlands and they maybe they're based there there's a tendency not to necessarily venture out of the country that they start in. Uh, they may venture into other markets, but what we're seeing is that people, they kind of run into these hurdles or or even it's a hurdles in their own mind where they don't even uh, explore different marketplaces because of the perceived you know, barriers to entry. And there are barriers to entry. There are things you have to navigate, especially in the German market. It is more complicated. They require you know different hoops that you must jump through. And, you know, what we see is sellers just say, I just, I haven't got the bandwidth. I haven't got the time. I just don't want the complexity and they, they won't enter. So for us, we see big opportunities where, you know, maybe someone's selling, I spoke to one seller, they were selling in Italy and Spain, but they weren't selling in uh, the UK or Germany because of the different VAT situations. Um, 
you know, sometimes it requires you to have, you know, maybe you set up a new bank account and set up, you know, a new company or something like that. So people just avoid all these different things and, and they limit themselves really. And I, I think it's, you know, I want to encourage people not to be scared off by some of those barriers. In fact, they can be an opportunity for you if, 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 cause you're probably not the only one who's feeling overwhelmed by some of these things. And so don't let it overwhelm you. Just, I think, take one step at a time. But just I always would suggest to, you know, if you can and it makes sense, and obviously the product translates to different marketplaces to expand into those different markets and then to different platforms like Bowl and, and whatever else you're looking at and to have a real strategy about it. Because I think what we see oftentimes is, is you know, people, they they find something that works and they keep doing that and they they don't kind of step back and say, what could happen in the future? You know, is Amazon still going to be, you know, the way it is in the next two years? It's very unlikely. It's highly unlikely. It's going to change. It's changing all the time. Will there be new sellers coming in? Will there be, you know, more hijackers? Will there be, you know, more, you know, more competition? Will that particular niche be completely oversaturated? It's it's likely. So you really need to kind of think about, well, what other Amazon marketplaces might be a good option for you? Because, Sometimes we're seeing that, you know, say, for example, something's getting a little bit saturated in the UK, in, say, Holland or Italy or Spain or France. It's not. It's still like an open market and there's plenty of room to sell there. And and some, again, some markets really like a product and they're very, you know, they're very uncomplicated themselves, whereas... We've seen other sellers selling in Germany and they they really struggled. They got lots of kind of, they got asked for returns or they got a lot of hassle from their their customers and not necessarily because it was a bad product, just because that's the, you know, the German consumer. But in Italy, they had zero, you know, problems, you know, it seemed to just, you know, go very smoothly. So it's just kind of looking at where there are, there are kind of opportunities and, and taking advantage of them because those windows won't be open forever. So I would encourage everybody to just sort of explore as many of those opportunities as possible really yeah i mean i guess you what you flagged up is really the reasons people don't which is the barriers to entry and bandwidth and i don't think they're slightly different things aren't they so i think i'd split those up but Hmm. one thing i just want to ask you about is is i always perceive there's a difference between a barrier to entry which once you've jumped everything's fine on the other side Mm -hmm. versus things are going to be continuous hassle which is obviously you know when it comes to the bandwidth of continue to operate as opposed to mm-hmm. enter a market mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a different thing right so what's yeah. your experience of that i mean is once germany's famously you know got got to get you jump through a few hoops to vat mm-hmm. register and so forth is your experience with companies so let's say we take a uk-based company i'd imagine you'd have some of those guys on that you talk to and mm-hmm. and they are <clears throat> wanting to expand to germany what's your experience that once they have jumped through the hoops of getting registered that it's all plain sailing or is it kind of continuous hassle? What, I mean, it's a bit of a general question, but let's try and address that. I think it depends on the the seller. It depends right. on again their their ability to you know operate a business. Because let's be honest, some people are really good at starting and launching a product. You know, they they they're great at you know the start, but their 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 strength is not necessarily in in operations or scaling or team or fulfillment. And they and they would openly admit that, and that's fine because we all have our areas of strengths. I mean within divorce, we have multiple different areas of the business, you know, because we're not all the same. We all have different skill sets. So I'm on the, you know, the acquisition side. I'm not in, you know, integration, you know, so I don't integrate the business. I don't operate those businesses. That's not my bag. And so for a seller to be able to do all these different areas, it's it's a lot of work. It's overwhelming for everybody. So, you know, and, and I find that oftentimes 
most sellers are maybe, you know, you know, maybe an individual or maybe they're a, a family business. So they haven't got, um, you know, unlimited bandwidth. And at some point they're going to hit a ceiling of their capability and their time and maybe their resources. And one of the biggest ones we're seeing constantly is cash flow. So the more, you know, I guess the, the gift of Amazon is you can scale quite quickly. If you, if you really, you know, find a product that, that really works well, the curse of that is that now you've got to scale that now you've got a you've got potentially issues with lead time and fulfillment and you know stock and being able to pay for all that stock you know so if you want to really scale you're gonna to have to buy a lot of stock and you have to put a lot of capital into that so it's very capital intensive what we see is a lot of people their profitability goes down when they start to scale and things become less fun you know what started off as something that you enjoyed, maybe it was a passion project for you, and then it kind of evolved into a business. And now it's becoming like a, a bit of a machine and you, you're you not really enjoying it so much. So what we say to sellers is, listen, we get it. You know, we've all been where you've been. And fortunately, we figured a few things out on the way. Some of the founders have, you know, built and scaled like multiple eight-figure businesses. So we get those kind of hurdles when you're going from six figures to seven figures and then, you know, from seven figures and upwards. And so we've got the team in, in place and we've figured out, you know, how to, you know, overcome some of those challenges. Whereas some sellers, they, they, they haven't got that time, you know, for themselves in terms of their own personal bandwidth, you know, it's taken its toll on them. They're feeling the kind of pressure and, you know, sometimes it's time to move on, you know, and sometimes it's a case of, you know, they wouldn't necessarily want to move on straight away. So maybe, for some sellers, they do want to, you know, cash out their chips and they want to sell and they, they'd they like to, you know, get a nice lump sum and, and, you know, kind of walk away from their business. And that's fine if that's what they're looking for. But others, they say, look, you know, I still enjoy this business, but I, I don't enjoy the things I don't enjoy. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not having fun when it comes to cash flow and fulfillment and dealing with suppliers and all that other stuff and dealing with Amazon in itself or, or even thinking about you know, expanding into different platforms that I've never heard of. And so they say, look, I, I don't want to cash out all my chips, but I'd like to sell a, you know, a majority of the business. And I'd like to kind of have say an earn out and get a piece of the upside that you guys are able to create over the next few years. And, you know, we're, we're flexible and we're able to kind of facilitate that for people and, and take over the thing that they, you know, don't enjoy. So I think that's what we're seeing more often than not. You know, there are people who are built to scale businesses and they've got it in their genes. Maybe they've already started multiple businesses before and this is this is not new for them. And they're like, yeah, it's a different sector. Maybe it's they weren't in e-commerce before that. You know, you mentioned someone before we went on air, I think, who's been in business since 1999. I mean, some people have been doing business for years and and this is like a walk in the park for others. It's really, really hard and we get it. So, okay. So tell me about, so what, what are the sorts of things then? So I guess you guys just built buy businesses and that can be one of the things that a business owner can frankly hit the point where the next steps that the business needs are going to either require skill sets they don't have, or even mm -hmm. a mindset, I guess, um, mm -hmm. that it just isn't them or cash, you know, funding that they just haven't got. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's one option, but tell me a bit more about this, the sort of thing where somebody might stay on in the business, but, you know, take you guys on as, as some kind of partner, I suppose it sounds like what's potential on offer. And this is what I want to dig into is, mm -hmm. is a mixture of sort of operations, taking over some of the operations side that they that people often aren't so good at the, the really mm -hmm. awkward stuff, fulfillment suppliers, cash flow, all the unfun stuff, and then also own some of the business, but not take the whole thing over. Is that right? I mean, what, what sort of deals do you end up doing with business owners? 
Yeah, so we've got a couple of different ways we can work with sellers. I mean, we when you know we talk about aggregators, we wouldn't consider ourselves like a, we don't have a cookie cutter agreement or kind of offer template. You know, we we have kind of valuation models that we use, like everybody. But at the same time, we we try to figure out. Look, you know, every business has problems. You know, every business has their kind of weak areas. And everybody is different. So every seller has, you know, unique needs, wants, desires. And so we're trying to kind of figure out how can we make those work. And sometimes it won't work for people. You know, we can't please everybody. And, you know, that that's just kind of how things go. But in other occasions, we understand that someone doesn't want to just sell out right now and they don't want to sell the business. But for example, we're talking to some sellers who are bigger than our usual kind of range. And our usual range would be probably between um, half a million in revenue to sort of 5 million in revenue. And that would be like, you know, euros um, or, or pounds sterling. But say, for example, someone was more established and they were already doing eight figures, but they are hitting those same hurdles themselves. And they realize that they have this ceiling of capability and they would be interested in selling at some point in the future, but they wouldn't want to cash out right now because they realize there's a lot more potential. So what we are looking at doing currently with a few different uh, sellers who are in in that position is to say, let's kind of partner. Maybe it's uh, some kind of a partnership with an aim to do an exit to us. Or maybe it's some kind of a, and we're very flexible on how that looks. And we don't have a set formula as such for how that looks because every single situation we're currently looking at is very different, really different, in fact, you know. So we're really trying to kind of flow with it a little bit and understand, well, where can we bring a lot of value? If we can't, then there's no point in really entering that conversation. But if we can, then we say, look, well, we know for sure we can do this. You know, we've looked at your cogs. We understand where there is room for, you know, to reduce cost, to increase your margins to you know increase your volume but without decreasing your cash flow we really think we can make a significant impact here you're really good at marketing and really good at you know launching new products so if you want to continue doing that then we'd like to kind of uh, empower you to do so but we think we can really make a big impact in terms of your back end and and just kind of and allowing that to scale and bringing in you know team resource and and you know operations etc and so we're we're looking to do that with those types of sellers so I think that's quite unique, really, because it's not a typical kind of buyout model. You know, it's it's really coming in a little bit earlier. We're not necessarily it's not necessarily um, an investor kind of role where mm-hmm. we're just putting in some cash for twenty percent equity. Yeah. Where we were looking for a more substantial kind of, I guess, partnership, and there is the the understanding that there will be some kind of full exit in the near future. But we're saying, look, for the time being, let's kind of let you hold on to some of the things that you do really, really well, because it would be foolish for us to kind of, you know, remove you and and you know those sellers they know what they're sitting on they're not they're not stupid you know they understand yeah. the value that they have right now but they also understand their um their uh, areas of weakness and that's yeah. a real i think that's a real asset for for a seller to admit yeah. where you you're not strong a hundred percent yeah I, I think just generally uh it's interesting that what you were saying earlier about reasons why you might consider moving off amazon is is really not just looking at the opportunity, which is such a, a sort of, it, it, there's got to be a, an optimism about entrepreneurs. Otherwise, we wouldn't be mad enough to try and do what we do. But I think sometimes when you look at the risk profile of what you're doing, when I say what you're doing, I mean, as, as an activity as a whole, if you compare it to, say, putting your money into property or just putting it into a mutual fund or something, it is high risk. <laughs> so we sometimes need to look the risk in the face and go, okay, so how do I de-risk the business? So that's one thing. And I guess then... 
with the willingness to look at your business and the models and the platforms you're on and see the risks and do something about them. Similarly, you're asking people to, to be realistic about looking in the mirror and going, okay, so actually I'm not good at sourcing. I thought I was, but when I look at, you know, what other people are doing in my space, I'm not. So being real about that. But it sounds like what you're offering is is effectively a blend between you can buy a whole business, but for the bigger businesses, not not so much a passive investor, but in between a sort of partnership investor, which I think for the right business could be really attractive. Now, obviously, if you were dealing with some frightening, faceless entity, that might be the worst thing in the world to do. But mm. tell us a bit more about, we ought to give you a chance to tell us a bit about, you're, you're hinting already about wolves can, what dwarfs can do for people. So how does the, the, the sort of typical deal work with you guys and, and how do people find out more about it? Yeah. So again, if we're looking at more of a typical deal, although we don't have a cookie cutter template, it would be something like, you know, 70% cash at close. And we, we like those types of deals because quite honestly, we, we want to work with sellers that, that are motivated. They understand their business has a lot more potential. So if someone's looking to cut and run, that's a little bit of a red flag for us sometimes. Not necessarily always, but you know, we're kind of why are you so eager to get out if you believe in the future of your business, then why wouldn't you want to, you know, get some of the upside that's created? Because if we're bringing in that capability, we only want to uh, acquire businesses we really believe we can, you know, scale significantly, you know, by, by a lot. So if we, if we, you know, make an offer on a business, we're confident we can. We know we've really done our homework. And so for that reason, if someone is to, you know, have some kind of an out of, you know, and they have say 30% over a couple of years or a year, whatever the the terms are, then they're gonna they're gonna benefit from that rather than just taking all that cash at close. And so we we really look for those types of entrepreneurs who are like, yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, I'm confident we're, you know, I'm talking to someone at the moment, they're doing hundred percent year on year. It's like, great, well, if we could, you know, do even more than hundred percent in the next couple of years, then you know, we would that would be for us, you know, it would have to be a lot more than that if we're going to be interested. Then, you know, you're going to you're going to benefit significantly from, you know, doing a, doing a deal where you get an earnout structure. There have been some deals where we have looked at more like, I think, 90, 95% at close. But for the most part, we're, we're really looking at deals where, yeah, we, we can share in the risk and the reward. And, you know, we're fair. We, we're not trying to kind of give anyone, you know, uh, a valuation that's lower than market value. So we, we, you know, we pay fair market value, but we're not, and this is just being very honest here and candid. We're the, one of the key reasons we're focused on um, UK and Europe right now is because I think that the market in the U S is it's, it's becoming a bubble. Quite honestly, everything's in a bubble right now. I think I've heard a few uh, different investors from different sectors saying this, whether it be you know the stock market, the crypto market, the real estate market, and uh, private equity, venture capital, everything's in a bit of a bubble. So the US right now is getting pretty overvalued. And I think it's because there's so much money and there, there are you know so much competition. We're not really interested in you know overpaying and, and just sort of trying to outbid each other for different businesses. We'd rather, for us, our model is we we prefer a smaller quantity of really really high quality businesses. So we will say no to far too many businesses that I think you know I'd love to say yes to them, but we've got we've got high standards and you know we don't want to compromise on our standards. So we stick to our, our particular sector and the niches that we like. And even if there's a great business in a, you know, a category that we we're not investing in, we would, you know, we'd unfortunately pass on it and say, look, you'd probably be a better fit for someone else in the the market. And, you know, 
all the best, you know, so that may change in the future, but for the moment we're being very, very selective. Yeah. Uh, and I think that will work and it will pay dividends for the the sellers that we're working with. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, if you know that somebody's selective and I guess <laughs> lots of people say that, but you can kind of judge by mm. their actions really more than That's anything right. else. But, yeah. you know, a smaller sort of boutique fund, if you like, which doesn't mean that they're not well funded in terms of relative mm -hmm. to the numbers of businesses they're buying. As long as each individual business is well capitalized, then that's what counts. Right. So as long yep. as there's enough money for stock, broadly speaking, is the big, big barrier then that does make sense to me. And I'd rather partner every time with a small company that is well run, mm -hmm. um, which is adequately funded, but isn't trying to gobble the internet because that, that as you yeah. say, what happens with that? It may sound attractive, but I mean, I'd be very wary because if there's, as you say, as an, an investor, I'd be like, if why do you want to cut and run? <laughs> why don't you want an earn out? But equally as the seller of the business, I'd be like, I don't want to link my future wealth to anything but the most competent team and therefore i want them to be selective i yep. want them to be fussy i want them to go over my finances with a fine tooth comb because that means mm -hmm. they're doing it to everybody else mm -hmm. and being you know selective and, and applying their expertise in a very focused way and i think you guys are very right about this bubble i mean even in my you know sort of from my podcast chair the number of aggregators from the us that have been in touch the last few months on emails basically a new one a week for a while and and that's kind of a sign that you know and i don't run like the biggest podcast in the world but they have have the right kind of audience for them and you know that's a bit of a hint and then when you talk to them mm. and you, you kind of dig a bit into their, their model some of them aren't particularly clear a lot off camera about what their model even is and and what they are looking for they're kind of looking for a, you know an amazon business with a pulse and that worries me so <laughs> talking of which then let's talk about your checklist so, so so people know they've got a business out there what is it you're looking for for in the businesses that you would potentially acquire and then we should talk about how people actually reach out to you as well so yeah let's go through that checklist Yep. So, you know, for us, again, we're primarily focused on the UK and Europe. Uh, and I ha and I see a lot of really great American businesses and it and it hurts me to say no to them. But we're trying to be very, you know, very strict at the moment. And I think there's enough opportunity in, in the UK and Europe, especially in parts of Europe, like that where they're only selling on one marketplace, like Italy or France or Spain or, you know, the Netherlands or Germany. Like Germany is a huge marketplace. And you know, that, that gives us a lot of opportunity to be very selective. And what we're finding is that, yeah, there is less competition here. The, the, the larger aggregators, they're only interested in businesses with like a million in EBITDA and we're, we're really focused on, on smaller businesses. So, you know, you know, the categories we're looking at, I mean, this is not necessarily uncommon, but we're very, very good in these categories, like very good. We've got some, some of the members of dwarfs who've got some very significant businesses in these categories so bedroom home kitchen garden so all, all around the house and things like that and then sports and outdoors and you know camping we really love those sectors you know and i think that's been it's actually really doing well because of the pandemic and i, I think it will continue to do well for the next few years so we like those areas areas that we we avoid a lot really which again is unfortunate because there are some great businesses in these areas but apparel and groceries supplements we we just can't work with those you know too many variants too many risks too many moving parts and we we try to avoid those areas makeup creams lotions potions we avoid those as well at the moment so we're kind of avoiding the beauty area too and then electronics and toys we just, you know, anything that's got, you know, parts or things that can easily snap or break or, or, you know, any electrical issues. Yeah. We avoid those. So 
where when I see a lot of these great businesses, I have, you know, all the brokers are sending me through opportunities and I keep telling them, yeah, that doesn't match. We've already given you that criteria, but you know, they send it anyway. Yeah. We, just say, we just have to keep saying, no, no, yeah. it's, not our, it's not our bag. You know, this is by the way, this is very, I would be very happy if I were uh, in the selling seat of a business and I were approaching somebody and they said no a lot. That shows that if they say yes, they're serious. I think if people say yes to everything, you should be very worried. And it's counterintuitive, isn't it? If a salesman says yes to everything, they're primarily a salesman. If they yep. say no to everything, they're thinking about a match between the entity being sold and the expertise mm-hmm. that, that is on offer and uh, you know yep. what they're looking for. So I think mm-hmm. that's actually very reassuring and it's very clear as well. So basically, if you're an American listening, if you sell in Europe, then great. And if you sell only on Amazon.com, this isn't going to be for you. But you should think about why that is. I mean, America's in a bubble like that. That's not actually a good thing unless you sell now. If you've got an earn out with it, that could be a risk, I would suggest. If, if I would suggest if, you're, if, you're, if you've got an American-based businesses, the multiples you're getting right now, get the cash and run. <laughs> I guess it's not going to be pretty. I'm just saying it's exaggerated. True. Okay. So, I mean, that is my personal view. I'm, I'm not trying to, so this is what the guys at Dwarfs think. I mean, that's, that's, yep. that's my personal view. So tell me, so you said that the, the bigger American aggregators tend to only look for businesses with EBITDA of a million dollars up. What sort mm-hmm. of um, sizes of businesses do you guys work with? Yeah. So, you know, our, our kind of sweet spot at the moment is between half million and 5 million in revenue. And obviously I'll tell you a little bit more about where we make exceptions and that would be like partnerships, mergers where they're, when they're bigger, but though we, you know, we're looking for like 20% uh, profit margin on that. So gross margin. So we're looking at, you know, obviously on a half million, we're looking at about hundred K. So yeah, that, that's kind of where we, we are pretty strict on as well. I mean, you can have high revenue but low profit margin. It's probably not going to be a fit for us. Yeah, but um, by the way, I, it, it's not a fit for anybody. I just, <laughs> I've got to say, I, I want to keep banging the drum on this one. It's so easy, particularly in the Amazon world, but any marketplace type thing, to get sucked into the revenue game, and mm. it, it's meaningless. <laughs> I'm just going to say, if you're listening and your business is doing five percent profit on a a million euros revenue or something, I I really feel sorry for you. And like, mm. please work with somebody to, to change that number because like it, it's not sellable but also yeah. why would you want to own it I, i'm just yeah. saying i mean i, I you know I, I just it makes me cry inside when i see that yeah. because yeah. i know some people that they risk so much money they work so hard and then they get such pitiful rewards i'm like that that's, this is not about yeah. growing your way out yeah. of this problem you yeah. got to change yeah. the structure of the finance of your business right. such that profit comes out the other end i'm just yeah. saying so yeah bit of a side rant there what what sort of numbers of SKUs do you do you look for because i mean some some businesses have thousands of SKUs in order to, to achieve their whatever million dollars ebit diamond do you have a sort of limit there or do you have a ratio between revenue and SKUs that you look for yeah like i mean really it's less than 200 ideally so you know i think like you know an optimal business um, i'm talking one at the moment like 40 SKUs ideal you know but under 200 so we understand that, you know, every, every single business is different, but um, we, anything over 200 just gets too messy. It's too okay. busy for us. And do you have um, like a revenue per skew metric or something like that, or a, even profit per skew? Yeah. I mean, look, I'd say ideally around probably 20 to $30, you know, and if you could get above, that would be great. But 30, $30, 30 euro. So um, price. That, 
Yeah. 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 Okay. Then, so what I mean, I suppose, is annual revenue per skew maybe is the best way mm-hmm. I put it. Yeah. I mean, is it like, do you need a, a, a skew to be doing a certain percentage of the revenue or it's just not worth having or no, not putting really. you on the spot with specifics? So you'd have a particular number in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 every business seems to be different, but what, what we're, what we're kind of looking at really is, you know, the price of a product around, you know, 30 bucks because, and there needs to be obviously, we, we we're looking at it where we're saying we've got some really amazing supply chain manufacturing partners that we're pretty confident on most things we can we can shave off quite a lot of cost but you know we have to be able to see that they've got that kind of revenue number going on first otherwise it it may be difficult to make it work um so again that is actually one thing if if when we're looking at a product and say it's like i'm gonna say maybe ten dollars or something or ten euro we you know we're already thinking you know it's just not high enough for us and it probably isn't going to be a fit for us, you know? I mean, there, there's, you know, there are opportunities to maybe um, shave off a lot of cost, but the likelihood is they bought it from China. I mean, there's only so much you can shave off from China without completely. I mean, put it this way. We're, we're also very, very picky. We all we do a lot of research on the factories too. I'm hearing this from brokers. I asked a bunch of brokers, do, how many people ask for factory checks? They're like, very few. We're like, we we do. We go and we see the factories. We've got people on the ground who do a full audit. And suddenly you're hearing people say, well, you can't, you know, that, that oh, I've never heard of people doing that. Well, it's like, yeah, but we need to understand that if we then double, triple your business, can they cope with that kind of scalability? Or is their factory going to have lots of issues? Are they going to, you know, is their kind of whole um, setup going to fall apart when we start asking them to send double or triple the stock? And, you know, people aren't prepared for this so for i think for a heads up that's also something for sellers they need to be aware of like if you haven't really done your due diligence on the factories you're working with or your supply chain be very very careful you know you know do you how many other people are buying the exact same product are they selling the the personalization product to other people too you need to understand this because you can get yourself into a lot of hot water especially if you're you know they've already been selling something to you know a larger a larger buyer and we've heard you know some pretty horrific stories of how larger sellers are just kind of trampling over smaller ones because they've got more money to kind of take it to to court you know so th- there's there's lots of things like that where people get caught out they don't really think that far ahead we we do so we we ask a lot of questions around well who who's kind of making the product you know what's their capability being able to scale this you know have you got any backups if they can't do this who who did you go to before that and and you know why did you decide to not work with them who should we avoid? So we we dig quite deep into this, really. But yeah, I think really that the other thing, as I said before, is if then we, you know, say, for example, someone is listening to this and they are a bigger seller, they are based in UK or Europe, and they are really good at one area of the business, but perhaps manufacturing or cash flow or supply or or IT or whatever it is that is kind of really a challenge for them, they realize that they could probably use someone like us to come in and, and take over that area of the business. You know, this would be a great conversation to potentially talk about a partnership or a merger too. So yeah, more than happy to uh, pick up that kind of conversation. Interesting. Okay. And people should reach out to you. I think you said LinkedIn or Facebook is is the place to go. Yeah, that's right. In, I mean, yeah. maybe we can drop some links in somewhere, but yeah, my LinkedIn, Luke Havard or Facebook, Luke Havard, or you could also email me on luke at dwarfs.io. So that's D-W-A-R-F-S, rather dwarves with a V-E-S. Yeah, if you want to pop that in in the, the, I don't know if you're able to post in the Facebook uh, comments or the the studio comments, then that would be 
be great to pop your LinkedIn profile there. But I mean, basically, Luke Havard, H-A-V-A-R-D. That's right. Then you know, they look for you there. Thanks very much, folks, for listening to another edition of the 10K Collective podcast, the place for six, seven, eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers. If you're an Amazon seller only at the moment, or that's how you classify yourself, I hope today has been a bit of inspiration to consider broadening your scope. First, there are some marketplaces out there where people are really making a killing. What I mean by a killing isn't revenue, it's profit. And when you're in a less competitive marketplace, as we've discussed, some of the European marketplaces might look quite small from the outside. But, you know, 7 billion euros or whatever that is, about $9 billion with current exchange rates of uh, revenue on bold.com may sound small relative to amazon.com or amazon.co.uk, etc. But my goodness, that is not a small market. If you can take a tiny percentage of that, I don't know about you, but a billion dollars of that would be pretty nice revenue. If I can get a profit on that, that would be a huge, valuable business. Uh, so really, I think the themes of today were a couple of things. First of all, there are a lot of other marketplaces out there, many of which can be very, very profitable for you. People often allow barriers of entry to stop you expanding into other countries or markets, but the opportunity on the other side precisely because of that barrier to entry can actually be really juicy. And you also need to think about the future risks of not just what's working now. And yeah, some of the, the ways that dwarfs could help you to, to scale. So it sounds like unlike the traditional aggregators, dwarfs are quite flexible in their um, approach to deal making. They don't just try and mass buy up as many businesses as they can. And they take each individual business, you know, on its own merits. So if you are a sort of person that is running a business that you want to sell at some point that has a European angle to it, and they do just buy Amazon based businesses, but with the European focus, by the way. So if that's you, you might want to get in touch with the Luke and have a chat about that. Because I think that these guys are, I do know, several of the other people on the team some of them quite well for several years they really have a different approach they were quite relaxed as well they're they're less hard charging than some of the american companies and if you like that kind of vibe the dutch guys typical dutch are a bit more laid back but equally very factual and and not going to just bs you but equally aren't going to be too aggressive then i would definitely consider getting in touch with them they sound like they're really willing to work with the bigger sellers as well who don't want to sell the whole business but want to have a sort of more of a partnership situation and you know with the level of expertise of some of the people on the team that i know um, you would definitely be very very well served by that so if we if you want to check them out and um, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash dwarfs d-w-a-r-f-s for sugar and and you can get a free valuation of your business which is always worth having but also don't forget to reach out to luke havard so that's h-a-v-a-r-d on LinkedIn or Facebook, and uh, he can have a chat to you about your business as well. What I always say to my um, clients privately is what I'll say to you publicly, which is that it's always a good idea to have a chat to somebody who's potentially in a position to buy your business, even if you don't intend to actually sell it to them yet. You don't have to get married on the first date, but what you can do is two things. First of all, find out who's out there who might buy the sort of business you're building. But the second thing is getting a reflection from an acquirer or a potential acquirer on your business will help make it a better, more sellable business. And even if you don't ever want to sell your business, making it a better business is going to make it for you and maybe your children or your grandchildren if you want to pass it on down the generations. I know a couple of businesses like that. If you want to do that, you might as well make it the best business you can. So I would suggest talking to a lot of business aggregators or buyers or acquirers. These guys aren't really aggregators in the traditional sense. Um, they're more buyers and sort of, of nurturers of individual businesses. 
then worth getting in touch. The, the final reflection point is very simple, which is do look into European marketplaces. If you're going to sell in Europe at all, it's not just Amazon.co.uk or Amazon Germany. Of course, those are great opportunities in some cases, but the smaller marketplaces really are an amazing opportunity. The profit margins particularly you can get from those can be incredible. And in the end, let us never, never forget, folks, profit is the money that we get to keep as the business owners. Revenue is just a number to impress people with, frankly. And sometimes it's necessary to get entry to a mastermind, to get a conversation with a banker, to get a conversation with an investor. But in the end, profit's the only thing that really matters because you can pay yourself from it and it will contribute to your value of your business. So if you can get a 50-60% profit margin for a business as a whole on ball.com, for example, which does exist, which is unheard of on Amazon, then I would suggest for that reason alone, worth taking very seriously, really deep diving into this. We'll be doing more on this, so fear not. But for the meantime, thanks very much for listening. As ever, if you've enjoyed today's show, please don't forget to subscribe. It really helps us. And it's the number one way which you can repay us for the time and effort and money that goes into creating the podcast. So thanks in advance for doing that and see you in the next show. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening.